Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Um, some good news. Everybody on the campus is negative. <clears throat> ah. Second, I um, want to um, welcome uh, Marjolein Janssen, um, who has graciously um, stepped in and uh, is going to be assisting us um, as uh, Christina has left, and so grateful that you could come and uh, quickly shift your whole life around to support us. So why don't you just say a few words of, uh, of hel- hello. Is the red light on? Susie, do you know? Oh, there it is. I'll put it close to you. Yeah, yeah so my name is uh, Marjolein Janssen, and uh, I'm from the Netherlands. Um, but I live in the U.S. Uh, in Virginia, and um, very happy to be here and to be able to support all of you uh, on this beautiful journey of a long retreat. Um, and long retreat is also my own preference of practice. I've been doing a lot of long retreats over the past years. Here at uh, at Spirit Rock, the two month retreat, I've said this one, um, and uh, in Myanmar and at IMS, um, yeah, and it's very it's very special time and very lots of mudita for all of you sitting here, um, yeah, and uh, hope to be able to uh, um, to be able to support you and. I was actually kind of in a retreat myself, uh, so um, I've had very little exposure over the last uh, week or so. Um, very minimal, and um, I'm postponing my. I was going to the Forest Refuge and postponing my own retreat to sit here with all of you. Thank you. Thanks for coming and helping us out. <coughs> and. Um, As um, Anushka and Christina, uh, um, following our Spirit Rock protocol, um, and by the way, it, it had come up. There was a question. Anushka had tested for a number of days before she came here. A couple of people said, "Well, she was only testing for a couple of two days before her mask came off, but she had been testing each day before then." So, um, and. Uh, Marjolein will be testing every day for the next five days. And um, yeah, we'll all be teaching with our our masks on for at least these next five days. Um, And let's all stay safe and healthy and have good vibes in the air and hope the Dharma is protecting us all.
So um, today uh, was an interesting day, wasn't it? <laughs> and you perhaps got a little stirred up. Uh, if you didn't, I'm very impressed with your practice and uh, want to learn a bit about equanimity from you. Um, but where did your mind go when it was stirred up? Um, worry, anxiety, wondering, will the retreat continue? Will it be off? Um, why did this have to happen? Or maybe just, oh, then this is the way it is. So it could go lots of different directions. But it's interesting to see what happens when something, a pebble is dropped into a relatively still forest pool and the ripples can be felt. And if you, if you felt a lot of ripples, then it was, uh, it's a function of how, how fairly still you are. Even if there's ups and downs uh, from day to day, um, you're probably a lot more still and quieter than when you first got here. And so you can see those ripples all the more. And uh, I had been planning on giving uh, this talk uh, a, a week or so ago, but uh, it seems um, particularly appropriate now the universe is uh, lining things up. I wanted to talk about fear tonight. Fear, worry, courage, trust. I want to talk about fear as practice. And it's a very important, central issue in practice. Uh, and if we're going to make friends with our mind, then we have to be willing to open to everything in there, to what, what might be in the, the hidden corners or underneath the, the, the stash. That's part of the practice. And fear, although it's, it's not a classical hindrance, um, I think of it as perhaps underneath all the hindrances because it is that contraction of mind that we spoke of at the very uh, beginning of the retreat. Remember, I, I talked about the mind gets contracted around the unwholesome states or akusala, the, the states of suffering, and expansive around the states of well-being, <clears throat> kusala. And fear is really at the heart of contraction, whether it's grasping fear of not getting what you want. And that when I say fear, I mean uh, just a concern or a wanting, hoping that we'll get what we want and um, being disappointed if we don't. And certainly with aversion, there's a contraction around. The first chakra, lower chakra, I'm sure you're most of you are familiar with the chakra system, is survival. 
That's the basic question. Am I safe? And then as we move up the chakras from the sexual energy and power um, and then further up to the heart chakra and the higher chakras of, of wisdom and awakening, we're learning to move from that basic sense of mm, insecurity to, um, to a sense of connection and ease and openness with everything. So each step of the journey, we're learning on deeper and deeper levels to work with fear. <clears throat> and it's important to realize that fear is not the enemy. You want to respect it. You want to honor it. You want to learn to make friends with it. And you, in that process, can access to something that's greater than the fear. Whether it's, you call it awareness or love or equanimity. Something much bigger that can hold the fear. As Ajahn Sumedho um, points out, the awareness of fear is not afraid. The awareness can hold everything. And as we learn to open up to those places, is that uh, that title of Pema Chodron's book, The Places That Scare You? I'm just thinking of that title. As we learn to open up to the places that scare you, uh, that is the doorway to finding courage and a sense of capacity that can be with everything, that can be like the Buddha was, and allowing it all to come and go. And here we are with a sense of um, groundedness and trust and connection and awareness that can hold that fear. There's a famous book uh, from my generation, uh, from the, I think, the 70s or so by Jerry Jampolsky. It was a classic book. And the title is the whole instruction, the whole teaching. Love is letting go of fear. It's a really good book, but you just got the main point. <laughs> Love is letting go of fear. There are healthy fears. It's important that we have this protective mechanism. There are healthy fears, legitimate fears when there's danger. You certainly want to uh, be aware of those messages and know how to take care of yourself and protect yourself. There are wise fears also, particularly in Dharma practice. If you are familiar with um, all the wholesome states, there's two wholesome states, 
that have to do with uh, fear of, of wrongdoing. And perhaps you're familiar with these words, Hiri and Otapa. And Hiri, H-I-R-I, uh, is the, the innate sense of shame over moral transgression. This is Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation. Bhikkhu Bodhi, who I think we've mentioned here before, the translator of, of uh, all the, the Pali Canon, uh, the uh, Tripitaka uh, books, or the Pali Canon books, I should say, the five uh, Nikayas. Um, he has this essay called Guardians of the World, Hiri and Otapa. And so here is this sense of, of, of shame that comes at, at um, when you've done something wrong. Imagine if we didn't have that. Imagine if it was just, you know, okay, well, that's how people act. And there are some people that have very little hearing. But it's a wholesome, it's a wholesome quality. And otapam is what's sometimes translated as moral dread. The fear of the results of what might happen if you do something that is, um, that is a transgression and what others will think of you. You know, your reputation is shot. You know, I used to, uh, I, I once told, uh, some of you might know Ajahn Amaro, who's a, just a wonderful teacher and head of now of the Amaravati uh, uh, monasteries in England and the, and the uh, Ajahn Chah monasteries. And uh, I had a, we had a, a, a lovely friendship. He was here in, uh, in California for many years. And, and I said to him, um, you know, you're, it's really good. Uh, our, our friendship, I so appreciate it. Every now and then I have the thought of, mm, should I or shouldn't I when I'm at a choice point? That's kind of wondering. And then I think of you, and I said, mm, I don't think so. Uh, there's this, this, this saying, one would not do something that the wise would later reprove. And he said, oh, I'm your governor. That, that was, that was the, the name for it. Oh, I said, yes, thank you very much. Not wanting to do something that the wise would later reprove. And seeing the danger in acting unskillfully. So there are wise fears, legitimate fears, and there's a wise fear, like Hiri and Otapam, and then there's the fears that we create in our mind. You're probably familiar with those. And maybe just ask you to reflect for a moment to make it relevant for you. When does it come up in your practice? When might it come up? It can can be the smallest little thing or a larger thing. When does fear come up? Maybe a pain, getting intense, or some thoughts about the future, or a self-consciousness, or getting lost in a mind state. 
Just when, when does it come up for you? And when it comes up, if you're in touch with it, get a sense of how you work with it in your wisest moments. The wisdom is right in there if you can access it, if there can be enough spaciousness and enough clarity. Fear of losing control, fear of the unknown. Okay, you can come back if you'd like. That's, those are the big ones. Somehow, fear of losing control or what comes next. And if you take a look at it, fear, and you can put in worry and anxiety in there, is always about the future. Well, pretty much. No, okay. My knee pain is, is difficult now, but what about 10 minutes from now? Or what's going to happen tomorrow? Or when I go home, this particular issue. Just noticing that is a very um, powerful understanding because when you see that it's always about the future, where is the refuge? Duh. That's one of the, the beautiful gifts about mindfulness. And so it's amazing how we are li- looking, leaning forward to the future, even with trepidation, when if we can simply come back to now, oh, this moment, is really okay, workable. This is about the problem with worry. This is from uh, uh, Dan Goldman, emotional intelligence. For those who who like to uh, worry. My mom was somebody who um, was big on worrying, uh, and she she kind of could laugh at herself. She said, you know, she thought, she thought of it as putting in your time that because if you were, if you could worry, you're kind of keeping things at bay. And she would say, you know, if I can't think of anything to worry about, that's when I really get worried. Because <laughs> she was so used to that habit of mind that it was home. It was familiar. Or um, before I read the quote, uh, another uh, um, example of Mullah Nasruddin. You, you probably have heard this anecdote. Mullah Nasruddin, the eccentric, wise man, fool. And he's putting breadcrumbs around the perimeter of his house very meticulously. And his students say, why are you doing that, Mullah? What are you, what are you spreading those breadcrumbs around? And he says, oh, I, I do it to keep away the tigers. 
And one of them says, tigers? There aren't tigers for hundreds of miles from here. He says, effective, isn't it? (laughs) So that's kind of how it works, that we get in such a habit of keeping things at bay with our our worrying thoughts that um, that it's just a it's just a habit. This is Dan Goldman from Emotional Intelligence. New solutions and fresh ways of seeing a problem do not typically come from worrying, especially chronic worry. Instead of coming up with solutions to these potential problems, worriers typically simply ruminate on the danger itself, immersing themselves in a low-key way in the dread associated with it while staying in the same rut of thought. So while you're in that worry, a contracted mind, you're just going around and around What if? But what if that happens? And then you're stuck in there, and there's not enough space to have uh, clarity and wisdom for a a wise response. Mm -hmm. And what, what you focus on, what you're worried about, that becomes your whole reality. That's how it works with, with fear. The more you think about it, the more it dominates your experience. I had an, uh, something happen to me when I was very young that um, just points this predicament out. Uh, when I was about mm, six or seven years old, I was learning to ride a bicycle. Right? My father would, would take me out and uh, you know, we'd be in a you know, big parking lot, nobody around, and it was going okay. And then the big day where I was going to ride around people, or on a street, I should say. So there, there I am, and he says, okay, here you go. Except I hadn't mastered braking. This is a very important thing to know. So I was kind of, this law was my street in, in Elmhurst, Queens. And there I am, this long block. And I'm, wow, this is really cool. And then in the distance, I see some people and a baby carriage. And my mind said, don't hit the baby carriage. Don't hit the baby carriage. Don't hit the baby carriage. It was like radar. (laughs) I hit the baby carriage. I didn't ride for about, uh, get on a bike for about a year and a half, actually. I do love, I love riding bikes these days. The weather is good. But it was so clear that when we think about something that dominates our reality and in our wanting to push it away, we are in this, locked into this dance with it. Okay. So 
it's just part of who we are. And as I said, it's a natural and important part of our journey. And in meditation, it's a very natural and um, uh, valuable um, aspect of our awakening. If you're familiar with uh, the progress of insight uh, after you, this is in the classical Theravadan development of awakening, after you are seeing things in very subtle ways and uh, seeing how everything is arising and passing, arising and passing, and then you start to notice how everything is passing and passing and passing, and it's called a dissolution stage, and it's like everything is just being taken away from you, and it's sometimes called the rolling up the mat stage, because you just want to roll up your mat and go home, and then you go through these stages of fear, and terror, loathing, disgust, they're all part of the deeper progress of insight until finally you get to uh, dispassion, uh, disenchantment and dispassion and equanimity and all the way up to the top of awakening. So if you find yourself in, in fear, in deep fear, not to think, oh, I'm doing something wrong, but rather, oh, this, the, 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 the system might be ready for the next layer of uncovering. It's hard to tell where you are while you're in the middle of the process, but not to think that fear is somehow uh, wrong or you're backsliding. You might just be opening up to new territory that you're ready to open up to, perhaps. Um, and if you're familiar with uh, the hero's journey, the archetype of, of the hero or the heroine, where the, the hero or heroine goes out on a quest and goes through the deepest hardship and has to face their fears so that they can be, become a master. When, whether it's the Buddha going through, through his, um, his six years of austerity and then, and then Mara uh, trying to knock him off his seat or until he says, I have a right to be here or Jesus on the cross saying, oh, God, why hast thou forsaken me? Or in modern uh, expressions of the hero's journey, uh, Luke Skywalker. You know, I love the Empire Strikes Back where Luke is very impetuous saying, I've got to be a, be a Jedi master. I really want to do it. And Yoda says, not ready, not yet. He says, I've got to. He says, okay, Luke, here's your lightsaber. You go in there and face your demons and hope that you come out alive. And he does, unfortunately, he becomes a Jedi master, but not without complications. And then, of course, uh, uh, the Hunger Games, Katniss Everdeen, you know, who's, I hardly ever see action movies, but I did see the Hunger Games, like, wow, she's something. 
and again, going, every, every movie action hero or heroine go through their trial by fire and come out the other end. So that's, that's part of it. So the, the question is, um, how can we develop a relationship to fear that deepens our practice instead of seeing it as the enemy, seeing it as the very richness that helps us develop courage and trust and strength and equanimity. I'm not, I forget if I mentioned it here about transcendental dependent arising. Did we talk about that here? This uh, wonderful uh, list of, of the Buddhas of getting off the wheel, getting off the wheel instead of staying on the wheel of samsara, the links of dependent origination. He says, our suffering can be the causative factor for faith to arise. Faith can lead to gladness, can lead to joy, can lead to um, concentration and uh, ease and peace all the way to enlightenment. But it starts with suffering, our suffering can lead to faith. How does that work? Think, how many people have gone through difficult experience times uh, that have led them to want to deepen their spiritual practice? Anybody? Raise your hand. That's how it works. That when you go through the hard stuff, it shakes you out of your complacency and makes you want to see how can I make some, find some meaning in this? But while we're in the middle of it, it's hard to see, oh, this is something that's going to be valuable for me. Just think of a difficult experience, a difficult period you've gone through, and that you've gotten through it. And think, what lessons did you learn? How did it help you grow? If you were to put it in just a few words, what would be the essence of the wisdom gem in that? Okay, you can open your eyes. Just interested, taking a, a few comments. You could just uh, raise your hand and yell it out really loud so we don't have to stop the mic. What, what lesson did you learn going through your trials? Say again. Grace. There's grace. Right, yes. And keep an open heart. Resilience, beautiful. Be comfortable being uncomfortable. 
Eliades. Say again. Life is precious. Yeah. We probably can get, you know, 90 different answers. While you're going through it, you're not saying, oh, thank you for the lesson. But looking back, oh, that's what has helped you deepen and grow and get confidence. So to realize that facing the difficult or learning to open to it is really a doorway to your deepest strengths and courage that you didn't know was there. I want to share with you a couple of stories around this. This is Ajahn Chah. You know, I'm sure most of you have heard of Ajahn Chah, Jack Hornfield's teacher, Ajahn Sumeno's, Ajahn Amaro's teacher. Uh, just a really um, inspiring, wise uh, Thai forest monastery, uh, sorry, forest monastic tradition uh, teacher. His big turning point in his life was when he decided to face his biggest fears, which was um, ghosts. So he decided to sit by um, a charnel ground, as it's said in the first foundation of, of um, the Satipatthana Sutta, where one sees the decaying of the body, and he, um, he decided to go to a charnel ground where they burn corpses and really test himself. And he, this is, I'll just share the, the, the last part of it. The first, he's there for a couple of nights. And the first night, he was really scared. And they brought this, um, this young person, this boy, actually, for the charnel ground, uh, who had died. And he made it through. And he said, wow, okay, I did it. And then he saw that he, he said, great, I did it, I finished. And then he realized, oh, well, that ghost would have been a, just a small ghost. <laughs> what about a bigger ghost? So he says, okay, I gotta, I gotta do it again. The next night, there's a big body that comes. And I'll just read you the, the, the last part of this. It must have been about a half an hour later, I think, when the footsteps started coming back. He had said before, clump, 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 clump. They had come, and then he went away, and he was relieved, and now they came back. Just like a person, it came right up to me, this, this time heading for me as if to run me over. I closed my eyes and refused to open them. I'll die with my eyes closed. It got closer and closer until it stopped dead in front of me and just stood stock still. I felt as if it were waving burnt hands back and forth in front of my closed eyes. Oh, this was really it. I threw out everything, forgot all about Budo, Damo, and Sango. I forgot everything else. There was only the fear in me, stacked in full to the brim. My thoughts couldn't go anywhere else. There was only fear. From the day I was born, I'd never experienced such fear. Budo and Damo had disappeared. I don't know where. There was only fear welling up inside my chest until it felt like a tightly stretched 
drumskin. Well, I'll just leave it as it is. There's nothing else to do. I sat as if I wasn't even touching the ground and simply noted what was going on. The fear was so great, it filled me like a jar completely filled with water. If you pour water until the jar is completely full and then pour some more, like the, then the jar will overflow. Likewise, the fear built up so much within me that it reached its peak and began to overflow. Why am I so afraid anyway? A voice inside me asked. I'm afraid of death, another voice answered. Well then, where is this thing, death? Why all the panic? Look where death abides. Where is death? Why, death is within me. If death is within you, the voice said, then where are you going, where are you going to run to escape it? If you run away, you die. If you stay here, you die. Wherever you go, it goes with you because death lies within you. There's nowhere you can run to. Whether you're afraid or not, you die just the same. There's nowhere to escape death. As soon as I had this thought, my perception seemed to change right around. All the fear completely disappeared as easily as turning over one's own hand. It was truly amazing. So much fear, and yet it could disappear just like that. Non-fear arose in its place. Now my mind rose higher and higher until I felt as if I was in the clouds. As soon as I felt I conquered the fear, rain began to fall. I don't know what sort of rain it was. The wind was so strong, but I wasn't afraid of dying now. I wasn't afraid that the branches of the trees might come crashing down on me. I paid it no mind. The rain thundered down like a hot season torrent, really heavy. By the time the rain had stopped, everything was soaking wet. I sat unmoving. So what did I do next? Soaking wet as I was, I cried. The tears flowed down my cheeks. I cried as I thought to myself, why am I sitting here like some sort of orphan or abandoned child, sitting soaking in the rain like a man who owns nothing, like an exile? And then I thought further, all those people sitting comfortably in their homes right now probably don't even suspect that there's a monk sitting soaking in the rain all night like this. What's the point of it all? Thinking like this, I began to feel so thoroughly sorry for myself that the tears came gushing out. These tears, I said, let them flow right on out until they're all gone. That was how I practiced. Now, I don't know how I can describe the things that followed. I sat, sat and listened. After conquering my feelings, I just sat and watched as all manner of things arose in me. So many things that were possible to know, but impossible to describe. And I thought of the Buddha's words, Pachatam Veditapu Vinyuhiti, the wise will know for themselves that I had endured such suffering and sat through the rain like this. Who is there to experience it with me? Only I could know what it was like. There was so much fear, and yet the fear disappeared.
Who else could witness this? The people in their homes in town couldn't know what it was like. Only I could see it. It was a personal experience. Even if I were to tell others, they wouldn't really know. It was something for each individual to experience for themselves. The more I contemplated this, the clearer it became. I became stronger and stronger. My conviction became firmer and firmer until daybreak. Ramana Maharshi also had his awakening experience. So afraid of, of death, he hid, he tried to hide from death. And then, then he saw, oh, this body is not who I am. And his fear turned into an awakening that lasted his whole lifetime. He, I think he was 17 uh, when he had that experience. I have in my own practice, I can share with you, I, a turning point in my life was coming face to face with my deepest moment of abject terror. And this was in the 60s, 69, when I had taken a psychedelic and I thought I was going crazy. And I, I'd never been that afraid before. And I yelled out for help, help, help. And my roommate and his girlfriend, I was very close with both of them, came and I and they came and they said, we're here. And I said, don't leave me, don't leave me, please. And I said it again and again each time. I said, we're not leaving you. And at one point, I got, they weren't leaving me. And I just let in their love. And it was a moment in my life where I felt, oh, they're not going anywhere. And I guess I'm worthy of their love. And that was, as I say, a turning point in my life. So I know that fear can open us up. I don't recommend that as a, as a method. <laughs> but I know how f- sometimes that fear can be um, a doorway. Now, we want to be respecting and knowing what our window of tolerance is and not go beyond what is safe for us but to know what our capacity is and know what we when we need to tone it down and be willing to open up to the difficult as a doorway and seeing fear as an ally changes everything Jack Cornfield has a, a really uh, great, simple, pithy teaching. He says, fear is really saying, about to grow. Because fear is the, 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 the membrane from the familiar to the unfamiliar. And so if you're feeling if you're getting out of your comfort zone, by definition, it's going to be uncomfortable. And so there is something very juicy when we're in new territory, 
And so to have an attitude of being an explorer to see, oh, I'm growing here. You can start to have a wiser relationship. And this is where mindfulness and interest and curiosity comes in. So rather than me talking uh, much more about this, I'd like to share with you, for me, one of the best teachings on opening up to fear and to the difficult. And if you had that sheet, um, you can... I want to play a song, and if you don't, it's okay because the most of the lyrics you'll be able to to hear. Um, but this is um, a song from an incredible play called "The Fourth Messenger." Uh, that's uh, it's a Dharma musical that was written by somebody on her very first retreat here twenty years ago. And it's an amazing play that I've seen a number of times and uh, like to promote. Uh, And uh, Tanya Schaefer wrote the lyrics and Vienna Tang, an amazing musician, wrote the music. And in this this song, uh, the the modern Buddha figure is a woman, Mama Sid, uh, who is uh, teaching a student uh, to work with her fear and the student has cancer. So I'd like you to just sit back and listen. I hope this works. This is called The Human Experience. Cancer? I'm so afraid. See the fear. I see the fear. What color is it? White. What shade? Blinding. Like sun on snow. Yes. Breathe through the fear. Breathe through the fear. I'm trying to breathe through the fear. But how can I breathe through the fear? Feel the fear. Name the fear. It's just another texture here. Feel your heart rate rising. The sweat appear. Part of the human experience Part of the human experience Now see the fear The shape of the fear Focus till it's crystal clear You're outside of it now Gazing through a microscope You are a detective gathering clues So keenly 
Now you're a painter, noticing the light on the trees. Now you're a scientist, gazing through a microscope. You're a detective, gathering clues, so keenly attuned to everything around and inside you. Joy and doubt, fear and rage, feel them spark, ignite and blaze. Let them burn themselves clean and evaporate like all of this human experience. See the grief, name the grief. The act of naming brings relief. So then there's the reprise that talks about what we can, how we can hold this experience. So this is the reprise later on. So everybody close your eyes for a moment. And imagine, with each breath, you're building a container. Picture an enormous wooden bowl building a container. And there's nothing it can't hold, a vessel deep and wide to hold all of your life. You're building a container called So whatever you are feeling, however subtle or intense, a part of you is larger than even the darkest circumstance. The ocean holds the waves, the fire holds the flames, and you can hold it all in your awareness.
So making friends with the fear is the first part, and then it's seeing that the awareness can hold it all. Like everything, it comes and it goes. And there's a place inside of you, if you quiet down enough, that I'm sure most everybody here has touched that can at times see, oh, it's just fear arising. It's just fearful Buddha. Oh, hello, I know you well. But not to let it run the show. I have a little image that I have when, when fear is arising, I want to respect it. And, but when I feel that it's, it's just driving things, I take it out of the driver's seat and I put it in the passenger seat. I put a seatbelt around it. I put a helmet on it if it needs in my mind. I don't want to throw it out of the car. It's, it's freaked out as it is, right? <laughs> and so I just want to say, yes, I honor you. I respect you. I hear you. But you don't get the keys to the car. And there's the wisdom that can help navigate through but to be willing to see the truth, to come direct into direct alignment with what's true, we're not creating ideas and fantasies about what might happen. And this is, this is what the Buddha said. He said, take a look and look at suffering. Don't be afraid to look at suffering. The more you can see it clearly, the less you're running away from that inherent part of life. Charlotte Bronte says, to see the worst is to take from fear her main advantage. And that's why the Buddha says, think every day, oh, old age, if you're fortunate to live long enough, sickness, death, that's just part of what we're here to learn and come to terms with. Loss, everything near and dear to me will be separated from me, and I am the owner of my karma. That's my true belongings. He says, think about that every day. And when you do, you're not so shocked when any of those come and there's a preciousness to life, the more you can just allow that to be part of reality as well. And when we can name our fears, you know, she says in that song, uh, name the fear, focus till it's crystal clear. When you can name what's here, then your mind isn't creating frightening stories about what could happen. There's that saying in mindful self-compassion, name it and you tame it. Feel it and you heal it. And in, you know, in mythology, when, when the, the demon or the, the monster um, 
was not named, it had tremendous power. But in so many mythological stories, as soon as you know the name of the, the demon, it loses its power. Oh, it's just fear. That's what's here. And there's refuge in the present moment and seeing what's actually here. Again, respecting what you can open to and what when you need some space. But there's refuge here and you can trust that the awareness little by little can come to an alignment with reality. This is Pema Chodron. She says, the next time you encounter fear, consider yourself lucky. This is where the courage comes in. Usually we think that brave people have no fear. The truth is that they are intimate with fear. When I was first married, my husband said I was one of the bravest people he knew. When I asked him why, he said, because I was a complete coward, but went ahead and did things anyway. Mm. Helen Keller. Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. All the world is full of suffering. It is also full of overcoming. Helen Keller, who I'm sure most of you know, blind and deaf through most of her life. Who is this inspiring figure? Oh, all the world is full of suffering. It's also full of overcoming. Sri Aurobindo's partner, the mother, you carry in yourself all the obstacles necessary to make your realization perfect. If you discover a very thick shadow inside, be sure there is somewhere in you a great light. It is up to you to know how to use the one to realize the other. So to, to see fear as an important part of the process that little by little is deepening your courage and your sense of trust. Oh, I've made it through before. I can make it through this one. And that trust opens to a real mm, surrender to reality. This is how it is. How can I meet it wisely? What's the wisest relationship I can have to it? How can I open and actually be welcoming and curious? So... I'll close with a, a favorite poem by uh, Jennifer Wellwood on this. She says, willing, this is called unconditional, willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, 
I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed into its radiant jewel-like essence. I bow to the one who has made it so, who has crafted this master game. To play it is pure delight, to honor its form, true devotion. Let's sit for a few moments and let the words settle. you for your attention. Enjoy the night air and we'll come back for one last sitting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.